it seems like the more I get into this postmodern age we live in, it, it doesn't matter what opinion you have about anything, you're probably going to anger about 40% of the people listening to you, no matter what your opinion or perspective is on any issue or uh, of any kind. Um, and social media might be part of that, you know, we, the, the medium has become the message in many ways, and when we interact on that way, we forget that there's a human being on the other side, we forget things like empathy and compassion, uh, and, and we just have sound bites back and forth at each other. And, and it's difficult to make a decision or an opinion because you feel like, well, that'll be hard or this will be hard. Like, for example, I could go onto Facebook or Twitter today and post something super innocuous like, I like apples. And eventually, inevitably, someone will comment and say, what do you have against bananas? Or why are you persecuting mangoes? You know, Do you know how much pesticides they use in apple orchards in Washington State, you know, you go on and on, and, and it, it, it's like, either, no matter what you do, I've realized now that Facebook is really only good for about two things. The first is to creep on people you went to high school with, <laughs> and to compare yourself, or how do you add up, or they add up to you, um, and funny cat, funny cat memes. Other than that, I don't, I don't really see the, <laughs> that's, of course, it's useful for more than that, but I still do like apples, though, Many times in life, though, no matter what your opinion is, the way forward, the decisions in life sometimes are either going to be hard or they're going to be hard. So you have to choose your hard sometimes. This is maybe one reason why Jesus tells us to love our enemies, because no matter which decision or direction you take, you, might rub, you, might, you will rub someone the wrong way. And it's important to love your enemies, because that's also hard too, but good. And no matter what decisions that we make, I've read that human beings allegedly make over 3,000 decisions a day. So that's why you're so tired. I just figured it out for you. 3,000 decisions a day, and those decisions add up to the culmination of our lives, the decisions that we make. Some people would say choose the path of least resistance, but I would say almost every path has some sort of resistance, no matter what it is. So you kind of have to choose your hard. And the decisions like this are, are so important and because a lot of researchers now are showing that the most important thing to instill in your children is an attitude of resilience. Um, not all, all other good things like travel ball and swim team and education, all that stuff can be good, but that's maybe not the most important thing. The most important thing is to instill resilience, to let our children go through hard things because life can be hard and your decisions in life are either hard or they're hard. And you have to choose your hard. And we're going to hear from a, our everyday hero today, we're going to hear from is Rahab in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Rahab was a woman whose everyday life was hard. Every day she had to choose her hard. She was stuck in a tough situation. She's in a Canaanite city called Jericho, opposed to the people of Israel, a city that stood in the way of the nation of Israel coming into the promised land. And she lived and was raised among the people of Jericho. These were her tribe. This is her family. And we're going to hear more about here now in Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho, a big walled city. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, 
for they have come only to search out the whole land. So the woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, True, the men came to me, but I do not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. And now then, since I've dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Rahab is a prostitute in a Canaanite city. She lives, her house, the back wall of her house, came up to the wall of the city itself. Now, it's never the dream of a little girl to become a prostitute. Never. How do you think a woman would become a prostitute in ancient Canaan? No one would choose this for themselves. Maybe she was probably abused or forced into it. Like sex trafficking today, which is like the most grievous evil, I think, on the face of the earth, the most despicable actions. There are power dynamics that are outside of Rahab's control. And this is where almost life forces Rahab to be. No one wants to be a prostitute. When courts back then wouldn't even recognize a woman as a human being, let alone having her, her, she wouldn't even be allowed to testify in court or vote. Can you imagine how they would have treated this person back then? As like a a piece of cattle or uh, just less than a human being. Just evil, even demonic evil had been carried out on Rahab her entire life. But Rahab's story, in light of all of that, is so beautiful and redemptive because it's just like God to use someone that is out of the way and unnoticed for his purposes in the world. See, God has chosen to work through the last and the least to silence the wise of this world. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. In the kingdom of heaven, the last are first, the weak are strong, the meek inherit the earth. And maybe it was God's plan all along to use Rahab. Almost like Lot escaping the city of Sodom, God saw her faith and used her for his purposes and to bless her life. She is probably on the lowest societal rung of Jericho. Her life has been hard, probably deeply miserable. She has little to lose and much to gain. Every day, Rahab has to choose her hard. It's either going to be hard or it's going to be hard. 
And a, a life like that can build upon you, can it? This, this burden day after day that seems insurmountable, crushing you. And then one day, these two Jewish guys show up in Jericho, and it's almost like a ray of light shines upon her life, a potential, an opportunity for Rahab in the midst of the gloom of her daily life. The king of Jericho sends her a direct message. Then she really has a hard decision. Do I honor my king of my city or the God these two men serve? She respects this God of Israel. She perhaps even has faith in this God of Israel. She also has some self-preservation at work. She is trying to, of course, protect her family. She comes to a crossroads, though. We've all been here at some point in our lives, many times. What do I do, God? It's either going to be hard or it's going to be hard. So you have to choose your hard. She thinks, if I turn them in, we'll all die because they'll just destroy the city. They're going to come for us anyway. Israel will. So that's hard. If I hide them, and I get caught, well, I'm going to die, and my whole family's going to die. If I hide them and I don't get caught, my, me and my family might live, but then I have to watch the people I grew up with perhaps be killed. This is hard. Over the, over the years, you, you encounter a lot of hard situations. You, you know, even working in ministries for so long, sometimes you deal with situations, and what's in front of you seems insurmountable. Like, I don't, you don't really know what to offer people someone's mentally ill or they're going through some sort of very difficult situation. I'm not a trained, I'm not a psychologist or something. But many times though, I realize I do have something to offer everyone and that's Christ, right? And we pray together and I, and I invite the presence of God in those situations. And, that, and, that, and it is a step of faith to do that and it's hard. But in the midst of that hard situation, you invite God into it. Because if you step out in faith, it means that you're being led. Rahab is stepping out in faith here. She's, she's choosing a pathway for her to follow. And she knows if I do nothing, I will die. If I help them, I will live. But I will feel like I'm selling out my people, so it seems impossible. Either way is hard. And so this is ultimately what she decides to do, or maybe what she hears from God. Hide them and trust me, Rahab. Hide them and trust me. And here's what happens, though. You know in her mind, she's thinking, but, but this, these what-ifs come in, don't they? These what-ifs of life. What, but, but what if these men take me and use me like every other man I've ever met in my life? How can I trust them, God? I don't know. It, but in, in, God, what if I get caught? What if, what if I hide them and I get caught? That's, that's, that's scary. It's, it's fearful. So what does Rahab do? Rahab does what every good 21st century Christian should do. She lies. She flat out lies to the king of Jericho. She lies for God. She lies. Nope, they aren't here. I mean, they were here, but they left. Spies? What are spies? What does the word spy even mean, king of Jericho? I don't know. I'm just going to play dumb. So it's not a complete lie, just a partial truth. I'm just hiding the part that you just, I don't want you to hear, King of Jericho. It's never usually okay to lie, right? We would agree with that, especially in church. Almost never good to lie. 
probably, you know, we've all lied to spare someone's feelings, right? <laughs> Especially in the South. We like to do that. Lie to spare someone's feelings. And you lie when God tells you to. <laughs> like Rahab. I mean, in order to save a life, would you lie? Of course you would. Think of the Underground Railroad. Think of Anne Frank, Corey Tinboom during World War II, hiding the Jews from the Nazis. Sometimes the right thing is the hardest thing, and you do whatever it takes. But I mean, you know, we do lie to our kids sometimes, like your little kids. You know, you'll be like, oh, this ice cream's too spicy. You wouldn't like it. Santa told me not to share it with you, you know? So, but sometimes in life, this is, she has a very hard situation. She has to choose her hard. And she's in the face of fear. And faith is actually not the absence of fear. Faith is action in the face of fear. You could also put courage into that category. Choose your heart, Rahab. Hide them and trust me. So when presented with hard or hard, Rahab goes toward the direction that is trusting in God more for her in that hour. And because she made this hard and correct decision, Rahab would go on into the lineage of our Savior, believe it or not. If you read Matthew chapter 1, Matthew is typically known as the Jewish gospel. Matthew wrote it for more of a Jewish audience. And so the very beginning of Matthew, he just begins to go the whole lineage of Jesus. And look who pops up. Matthew 1, 5. Sam, Salmon and uh, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab eventually marries into Jewish royalty. And their daughter, or their son, is Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Remember the story of Ruth from the Old Testament? Obed, the father of Jesse. So you see, you see that she eventually lives on after this story of Joshua and marries into and becomes part of the nation of Israel. In James, Rahab is shown as an example of someone justified by God, declared righteous because of their faith. James 2 says this, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out? by another road. Within the faith of the hall of heroes, we call it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, Rahab is mentioned right after Moses. I'm sorry, Rahab is mentioned right after Moses instead of Joshua. The author of Hebrews doesn't even mention Joshua, but instead mentions Rahab. The only other woman mentioned in the Hebrews list is Sarah, Abraham's wife and the mother of Isaac. What a high honor. Hebrews 11, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. She, like I said, would go on and to be into the lineage of our Savior. I mean, it's really very much a Cinderella story. And she, she had to choose hard or hard. And when I think about, like I said earlier, we sang Blessed Be Your Name or uh, hymns that some of the best hymns retain that tension, the tension of faith and suffering. Because sometimes Christian music can be sort of like too, uh, too uh, saccharine, <laughs> too like, just too, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, 
it doesn't capture the messiness of life, right? And, and good art has the tension in it that you can't shake because it's like it's real, like real life. Sometimes life is just harder, it's hard. And I think of the hymn, It Is Well, because in this hymn, you see this, this tension of, of God, I trust you. I know that you're good, but I live in a land that is not always good. God, I know that where you are and where all those that have died in you are, are, are now alive in heaven, that place is not like this place right now. Like, th- like look at these wo- listen to these words from it as well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The author of it as well is not saying, ignore your pain, no. His name was Horatio Spafford, and he was a, a very successful real estate magnate in Chicago in the 19th century. Now, at the, at the wake of the great Chicago fire of 1871, however, he lost everything overnight. It's a lot like the story of Job. His son would die a short time before that even happened, Horatio Spafford. However, the worst was yet to come. Spafford desired a rest for his wife and his remaining four daughters, so he set up a trip for them to go to Europe across the Atlantic Ocean to be a part of uh, Dwight Moody's um, crusades in Europe at that time. He was, uh, Spafford was a Christian person, of course. And so he planned a European trip for his family in 1873. Now, he had a last-minute um, hang-up, so he had to stay back in Chicago in a few days. He sent his wife and his daughters ahead on a boat across the Atlantic. And on the way there, he expected to follow them on a few days. Well, on November 22nd, the ship was struck by another vessel, and that ship sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, their survivors landed in Wales, and Spafford's wife cabled her husband two words, saved alone. Spafford immediately got on the next boat he could to join his wife in Wales. And this hymn, it as well, is said to have been written the moments he passed over the water where he, they felt they knew that his daughters had perished. You know, I say all that because when the choices in life we face are either hard or they're hard, like Rahab, how in the world can anyone say it is well? It seems like a little bit too much of a neat theological bow to tie around your life. But again, that's a very cynical way of looking at it because it denies the lordship of Christ. For one, we serve a Savior who suffered as we have suffered, who died as we will die, and he has risen like we will rise. So this is very distinct among the religions of the world. It's utterly unique. But even in the midst of hard or hard, you can say it as well because of the, one of the, most, the most ancient creed of Christianity, and that's three words. Jesus is Lord. Because if he is not Lord, we're doomed. But because he is Lord, then nothing is outside of his control or his influence. He is always present. Come on, give me an amen on that. He is present with us in whatever situation we go through. That, that we, don't, we don't serve a God who, who, who removes us from our sufferings, necessarily, 
And church history shows us that. But that, in fact, the Holy Spirit can equip us with what we need to go through those sufferings and emerge on the other side eventually. So I know that when you're in a, a, a season of life that seems crushing, it puts blinders on you, doesn't it? And you think it's never going to end. You think, no one, you think no one else understands, too. That's not true. But the fact that he is Lord, that gives you reason to say, Lord, no matter what may come, it is well with my soul. Because I know that you're with me. And I know nothing will separate me from your love. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are present with us. Even on that Christmas night, Christmas Eve night, when you were born into the world, you, you sent out a, a message to all of us that said, I am with you. I'm incarnational in my love to you. That I didn't want to come, I didn't want to rectify the problems of the earth from a distance, but I came as a servant. Not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve. And because of that, O oh God, you have been elevated, Jesus, to the highest place of honor, that you are Lord of heaven and earth. So God, in these next few moments, may we bring to you whatever burdens we carry, whatever anxieties, whatever hardship we have, and say, Lord, I know that you're Lord. You are Lord of all of that I have and I'm going through. Take this thing in my hand that I can't control. And I pray to God that you give me peace about it. And let, no matter what may come, God, may you be glorified in it. And it is hard. Thank you, God, that you're with us. You're with us. That is the hope of glory. Jesus' name, amen.